Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys today. Oh. How nice. I thought I'd reintroduce myself. I am your senior pastor, Greg Surratt. And I want to welcome those of you who are uh, in the warehouse or the chapel right now or uh, at a campus. I was thinking about the West Campus, Somerville Campus, uh, Dream Center. Uh, good to see you. Well, I can't see you. You can see me. I, let's keep it real. And uh, maybe you're on the internet or a podcast. We're glad that you guys are along uh, for the ride also. It's good to be back. It really is. It's kind of nerve nervous. It's like riding a bicycle. Do I remember how to do this? I heard the guys just did a great job uh, this summer in tracking through uh, the life of David and uh, heard some of it. Uh, but uh, we're, uh, we've been away. And let, me, let me tell you about, about it just a little bit. First of all, b- before I do, let me ask you a question. Have you ever had a second chance to do something right or fix something that you really messed up or blew the first time? Have you ever had that? Think about that. Think about that just a little bit. Like, like a test. Maybe you took a test like the driver's test, okay? It, like I blew it three times before I got it right, the, you know, the first time. Or maybe it's a test in school I, and, and you blew it and you were hoping that everybody else in the class blew it too so that you could have another chance. I play golf every once in a while and about every three or four months it seems like. And, uh, you know, when you tee it off and you really hit it bad, we have this rule that if everybody hits it bad on the same hole, we have a re-tee. And it's like the grace of God. <laughs> it's as if it never happened, you know. And so if three of you hit it bad, you're just pulling for the fourth guy, you know, just to shank one, you know. Or, or, or maybe uh, maybe it was a meal that you cooked, you know, and you really blew it and you got a chance to do it again. Or maybe it's an apology. Anybody ever blown an apology? Have you ever done that? Just me. You you have. Good. I was preached to you today. How's that? You just blew an apology and had a chance to do it again. Well, let me tell you what I had a do-over on a mulligan was a cruise. Okay? Let me tell you about it. Let me tell you about it. About three years ago, the leadership of this church gave Debbie and I a cruise um, as a uh, as a gift in response to 20 years of ministry here at Seacoast. We planted the church 23 years ago. It was 20 years at that point. And, uh, and they gave us a cruise. They, they knew that we wanted to go to the Holy Land, never been. And uh, a cruise was an opportunity to do this. And this particular cruise started in Rome. And uh, we spent a couple of days in Rome. And I'm a history buff. And a lot of Christian history happened in Rome. It was just, it was just incredible. And uh, then we went to uh, Egypt, then we're going to go to the Holy Land and Ephesus and Isle of Patmos and some of that. And the first thing I want to say is we, we are so honored and so grateful that this church w- would, would do that. I mean, it's once in a lifetime deal. We couldn't afford, you know, uh, that opportunity and the church gave it to us. And we're still honored with that whole deal. And so we went on the cruise two years ago and... We got to Egypt. We were five days into this thing, and we were getting ready to go to Jerusalem the next day. We were so excited. We were like little you know, junior high kids, you know, getting all our stuff together and making sure we were remembering everything. We couldn't sleep and all this kind of stuff. And it's a good thing we couldn't sleep because the boat caught on fire. And uh, we were about 100 miles from Jerusalem, and I look out, and we're on the 11th floor, and I see the smokestacks up on about 13 or whatever. And, 
And there's flames coming out of them. And the, and the fire was actually in the engine room on the first floor. So it was a big fire. And it knocked out everything. And all the electricity, all the toilets, all that kind of stuff. And finally, ultimately, they towed us back into shore uh, at Egypt and put us all on planes to go home. And it was a disappointment, five days. But they refunded everything. They refunded airfares. They refunded the cruise costs, the expenses, everything, and then gave us a pretty deep discount if we'd go on a cruise again within the next two years. And so, and so I, I kind of felt like, honestly, felt like the biblical character Moses who could see the promised land but I couldn't get in. <laughs> but this is kind of cool how God worked it out. What we did is we set aside that money, and this summer... Uh, we went again at even a, a cheaper a cheaper price, and w- so I want to say thank you twice. We got a, a once in a lifetime opportunity became a twice in a lifetime opportunity, and this is how God worked it out. It it not only celebrated 20 years of ministry at Seacoast, but it felt just right to celebrate 35 years of marriage to my girlfriend Debbie Surratt. And can I tell you? That worked on a lot of levels because it was a great trip, like something we only would dream of, uh, and I didn't have to pay for it. It was, it was on you guys. So that was good. That was awesome. It impressed her. And so, uh, and so we went again, only this time we didn't go to the Holy Land because I had just gone a few months ago. Some of you who are here know that. It's a guest of the Israeli government. And uh, so instead we just did a Mediterranean thing and we started in Venice. What a great city. And... And then we're going to go to Athens. And uh, in Athens, we had a little problem because I guess they're out of money there. I, I, uh, kind of similar to us uh, right now. And uh, so they have protests and all this kind of stuff. Well, the, the day that we get to Athens, I want to see Athens. Paul spoke in Athens, Mars Hill and all this kind of stuff. And uh, the taxi drivers called a strike that day. Not just a strike, general strike, but what they did is they came to the port and they uh, uh, blockaded it with uh, more taxi cabs I've ever seen in my life. And uh, there were 14 uh, cruise ships with about 2,500 people apiece just stacked up in there, and we couldn't get out. And so we're standing, I'm standing on the front of our ship looking at all of this going on, and I'm thinking that night at dinner I told whoever was at our dinner table with us, I said, you know, I've explained our first cruise, felt like Moses. I said, this time, I feel a little like Jonah. I said, I'm 0 for 2 in getting to Athens, and I feel like if you guys would just throw me overboard, that the cruise will be fine. Okay, you might want to do that as just kind of a, a precautionary thing, but fortunately, they didn't. And we went on. It was awesome. We went to Ephesus, uh, which is just an incredible city in the history of the church, the book of Ephesians. Paul uh, stayed... Um, you know, two years in Ephesus. Uh, it was the leading church after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. John, uh, the apostle, was there, wrote most of his stuff from there, and then Isle of Patmos. Uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, uh, is alleged to have actually uh, lived there and died there. In fact, we saw a house, Mary's house, that may very well have been that house. We, we went on to uh, Istanbul, which used to be Constantinople, which was the center of Christianity during the Byzantine era, era and, and that was just incredible to see in Greek island. And this, and the other. in fact, I tell you, it was a good, 
a good trip is that there were a couple of times on the trip I looked at Debbie and I said, now what day is this? So like, is this Saturday or Thursday? You know, and that's when you know you're having a good trip. But uh, anyway, uh, on one of the stops in Naples, Italy, that night we were on the cruise and we're just leaving Naples, which is a very romantic place. And the sun is going down over the mountains and all of that. And we're sitting in a restaurant at the top of the cruise ship and we're by ourselves, right by a window. And we're, we, we chose that time to celebrate our marriage of 35 years. And it was just, it was just, it was just a wonderful, wonderful time. Got great discussion. Uh, our marriage has, has changed. We've changed over the years. I thought I'd just give you a little something on that. Here's a picture of when it started. Okay. Do we have that up on the screen? Those are the skinny people getting married 35 years ago in, in Lakewood, Colorado. And then next picture kind of signing, you know, that the says that uh, we did and we do and we will, you know, till death do us part. And then I thought, you know, it might be interesting. We became pastors a little bit later. And uh, here's early on at Freeport, Illinois, which was our first church before this. Go ahead and get that picture. That's the young pastors. That's Jason and Josh and uh, Debbie with the uh, frizzy hair. And, uh, <laughs> and, so, and so we've changed over the years. Obviously, the relationship has grown. She was my girlfriend. She still is. Companionship has grown. And in that, uh, on that evening in Naples, we, as, we, as we ate together, we reflected on 35 years and what that was like. And what I wanted to do today, this is kind of a wild card week. Um, we ended a series last week on the life of David, about 12 weeks through Second uh, Samuel. And we're going to start one next week. I'm really excited about uh, trending, where, where we're going to talk about some things that I've never talked about in 23 years here as a pastor. But you hear about, who, and I want to teach, teach you some biblical principles about how to make decisions about stuff that's going on. And then you, you make the decisions that God, God leads you on. But this week is a wild card. So I can talk about anything I want to. And so I'm going to talk about, I'm going to summarize our discussion there. Now, it's going to be in three points. I don't talk to Debbie in three points. Here's point number one, point number two. That's how I preach because it helps me to get organized and it helps you maybe to remember what we talked about. But I want to kind of summarize some lessons we've learned in 35 years. Or we are learning, not have learned. And if you're a married couple at your first year in or your 10th year or 25 or 50, I think it'll be fairly easy to get some biblical principles here today. If you're not married, I really feel like it's going to apply. You're going to, you're going to hear some things, I think, that are principles that apply to all areas of life. So I want you to kind of track with us. Is that all right? So let's dig in. Here's 35 years of reflection. Here's the first thing we're learning. We're learning as a couple to trust in God's sovereignty, to trust in God's sovereignty. What does sovereignty mean? It simply means that God is God and you're not. That God can do whatever He wants to do, where He wants to do it, when He wants to do it, and with whom He wants to do it. And He doesn't have to consult anybody. In fact, the Bible says that God takes counsel of Himself. Why? Because there's no one else that is omnipotent and omniscient, that knows all. See, he, he knows the future. He knows the past. And so when he thinks about something, when he takes counsel of something, when he decides something, very seldom does he consult me in advance on that. 
Because he's God. He is sovereign. He can do what he wants to do. He has a plan and a purpose for the universe. He has a plan and a purpose for our lives. Ephesians says that uh, we are recreated in Christ Jesus to do good works. He told Jeremiah, and he was speaking of Israel, and I think he also speaks of us, I know the plans, the purposes I have for you, and they're good. And that's another thing about God is this. In his sovereignty, here's what we know. All of his ways are good. In fact, Psalm 25 and verse 10, let's read this one out loud. It says, all the ways, a lot of times when we read out loud, we move our lips. Let's do it together. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful. How many of the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful? Not just sometimes. And you know, that's helpful because when things happen and you're tempted to ask why or you don't see God's goodness or it feels like you've gotten the short end of the stick, you need to understand that God is sovereign, that He has a purpose and He has a plan and He doesn't have to consult you or me. But here's what I know, is that whatever He does will be good ultimately. And that God is always faithful. When I'm faithless, God is faithful and that helps me in difficult situations. Now, We're learning to trust God's sovereignty. I know that God had a purpose for our union. It wasn't just an accident that Debbie and I met. Let me tell you how we met, how this whole thing started. We both grew up in Denver, Colorado. She grew up on the east side in Aurora. I grew up on the west side, uh, actually in an unincorporated area called Green Mountain at the very uh, start of the foothills. And uh, we, we both grew up in church in the same denomination in the Assemblies of God. And uh, she was in a large church. I was in a smaller church. And we used to go to youth camps uh, together. And at youth camps, I noticed this really attractive blonde that I really would like to get to know, but I was too shy to even say anything to her. And so my eyes adored her, though I never laid a hand on her. My eyes adored her. <laughs> Frankie Valley, God bless you. But uh, so, so, uh, so, so, so one year at, at this thing we called a camp meeting where like adults and kids got together every year in the summertime in Denver from the denomination, they'd have a camp meeting, kind of a spiritual fire you up kind of a deal. And uh, my mother had had a late addition to our family. His name was Chris, my brother, and he was 16 years younger than me. And uh, so at this camp meeting, my mother, well, actually, let me, t- let me kind of back up and say, back in the day, it was politically correct, okay, to have this, this contraption. It was, it was like a harness that you put on your, your toddler, and then you put a leash on them and kind of walked them kind of like a dog. And it, I think it's a great idea. Other people, evidently, it hadn't sold well. But, you know, anyway, my mom said, why don't you go walk Chris? And so I... <laughs> I went outside and I was walking my brother Chris. And guys, can I tell you, this was a babe magnet. I mean, a a toddler on a leash just attracts ladies. It really did. And, And one of them that was attracted that day was this beautiful blonde that I had been too shy to talk to. And she came up to me and began the first conversation 
that we had that led to four or five years pre-marriage and then 35 years post-marriage, so about 40 years of conversations that accumulated in that conversation on that ship in um, just outside of Naples. And I, I believe that God was sovereign in that. And it's important that we believe that because while we've derived a great deal of joy over the years from our time together, we really have, the knowledge of God's sovereignty has sustained us through some difficult times. Times where we've hurt each other carelessly in our actions and our words. And I would put me mostly on that end. Times when we haven't seen eye to eye. Times when life has dealt us a curveball. When we were first married and in the couple, three years after that, we wanted to have children and that was the desire of our heart. And the first two uh, pregnancies uh, ended in miscarriages and we wondered if we'd ever have kids and those were tough times. But the sovereignty of God carried us through. Uh, when we first moved to Charleston, I've told the story many times. Uh, um, we came here, uh, left our church in, in Illinois and came here knowing that someday we would plant a church and really didn't know that many people in the, in the community and we had a car wreck first three weeks here, a devastating car wreck. And I can remember standing at the top of Medical University in the children's wing at that time and looking out over the city with my daughter cut up and in, in a hospital bed, my, my, my oldest son in a coma. And Debbie and I standing there saying, we don't know anybody. I mean, why did we move here? Is this, have we missed God somewhere? But you know what? In, in the midst of the questions, which are normal, what sustained us was this knowledge of the sovereignty of God. That God is God and He does and He allows what He allows. But all of His ways are good and He's always faithful. Remember my daughter was in a boating accident. Same daughter that was injured in a car wreck in a boating accident. Um, found her at the bottom of the Wando River and, and um, uh, just all kinds of things that she went through, saved her life at uh, East Cooper Hospital here and sent her down to Roper Hospital. And they ultimately sent her to MUSC. And about a week later, the, I'll never forget going into this little consultation room where the lead doctor there said she has uh, adult respiratory distress syndrome. Her, her lungs are getting leather, leathery and hard. And there's, there's not a real good chance. We said we're praying people. Now, I'll, I'll never forget when we came back a week later and he said, um, it's almost magical what has happened. I said, well, it's an M word. It's called miracle, but that's close. And he said, you know what? He, he said, I, I'm not going to argue with you on that. But in those moments, the sovereignty of God, that God is good and that he has a plan carried us through and the loss of friends and family and in facing more than one economic crisis as a country and as individuals. So how does learning to trust God's sovereignty help? Let me give you a couple of things, a couple of pointers for you. And first one, if you're married, is this. I can be confident that I married the right one. I can be confident that I married the right one. See, a lot of people waste a lot of energy wondering if they married the right person. Over the years here, I've talked with a lot of people, and oftentimes somebody would be going through difficult times, and they'll wonder, did, did I marry the right person? This is so hard. Or maybe the person you married doesn't track with you spiritually and you go, maybe I ought to just you know, start over, have a redo because I'm not sure I married the right one. Well, 
Here's scripture, Psalm 37 and verse 23 says this, the steps of a godly person, the steps of the godly are directed by the Lord. He delights in every detail, every detail of their lives. So you say, well, we weren't seeking God though. We, we, we didn't seek God and so maybe God wasn't in that. And, and I say, no, God is sovereign. When you're married, put away that question because you're married to the right person. Let's work on it and go from there. And you say, well, okay, Greg, I've been around this church for a few years and you do messages and I'll do them again. We'll recycle them. We do that. It's good. Um, for singles, how to find the love of your life, you know, how to find the right one. And, and I go through, you need to look at some compatibility issues. The first one is spiritual compatibility. You need to marry a believer. And the second one is, you know, are they, if they're a believer, are they growing at the same rate as you are? Are they going the same direction? Are they overcoming strongholds and sin areas in their life? Are they making progress? And just several different little checklists. And, and, and you might say, a thinking person might say, well, you know, if God is sovereign and he put you together, whether, you know, whatever, why go through those things? And let me tell you what I think. Here's what I think. And you don't have to agree with me. Remember here at Seacoast, you don't have to agree with me. You have a right to be wrong, okay? You just remember that. But here's what I think on this. I think that if you seek God in any area of your life, Matthew 6.33 says, seek first the kingdom of God and His stuff, and He will bless you. He'll add the things that you need, everything you need for life. In any area, relationship or whatever, you seek God first and life works better. Would you agree with that? Seek God first, life works better. In a marriage relationship, you seek God first before you're married and you, you go through those things and life's just going to work better. It's going to be easier. It's going to be, you find somebody who is in the faith, who's passionate about God, who's overcoming things in their life, who's headed in a similar direction, and all of that. You cover those things. Life's just going to be easier. I meet people who sought God earnestly uh, in, in, their, in their marriage and, and, and life just seems to work easier. Some people just luck, luck into it, okay? But life works easier. You don't seek God. You leave out some things. You choose uh, unwisely in, in some various areas. Life's just going to be harder. But it doesn't mean that you can't be in the center of God's will. How does that work? Um, at Seacoast these days, we don't do much three-year and five-year planning. We used to do that, but times are changing so rapidly. It's like you get a five-year plan and all of a sudden it's totally out of, out, of, out of whack. And so what we do is what a lot of businesses do is that we do scenario planning. You familiar with that? Scenario planning says, well, if this happens, here's what we're going to do. And if this happens, here's what we'll do. And if this happens, this is how we'll take it. Does that make sense? Scenario planning. It just... It just uh, is, is a lot more uh, accurate. How do you know, when you think about God, who is omniscient, means he knows everything. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. How do you know that God would be the best scenario planner in the world? He knows every scenario. So if this is the scenario you go down, God has a plan for that. If this is a scenario you go down, God has a plan for that. If this is a scenario you go down, God has a plan for that. Now, does that mean there are no consequences for choices that are outside of really seeking God? Yes, there are consequences. And yes, life might be harder and tougher. But here's what I've learned too, is in the hard things, you learn more. So it all kind of works. In fact, Romans 8 says everything works out for our good to those who love us. So God 
is sovereign. So regardless of where I am, the choices that I made, God has a plan. I can be confident that I've married the right one. Um, I can I can face adversity with a sense of peace. I talked about that just a little bit more. The sovereign God allowed this. He has a plan. In fact, here's what I've learned and am learning in life, is that when I face a tough situation in my relationship or just in stuff, face a tough situation, something surprises me. Something is, wow, how did that happen? What's a surprise to me is not a surprise to God. Therefore, God is at work on the solution before I even know there's a problem. That's the sovereignty of God. And that's why I can relax in difficult situations or at least have peace in difficult situations. And I can get excited about the future because of the sovereignty of God. I I know I'm different in a lot of ways. I just am. I've accepted that. I'm normal. You're not. And um, I love genealogies. When you are reading through your daily Bible and, and you come up to like a Matthew 1 or one of the genealogies, what do you do? Skim to something good. I find something good in the genealogies. I really do. Because, you know, in, in all of the begets, I always think, okay, you got so-and-so beget, so-and-so beget, so-and-so beget, so-and-so. Who did this? And then he begat so-and-so. And, and, and I'm thinking, what about this one right here who begat this one and this one and this one? They had no idea that one of the reasons they begat da 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 is because of the sovereignty of God because God wanted who to do this. You're not tracking with me. Let, me. let me tell you how it works. Let me show you how it works. So, so, so it gives context. I am who I am in some part because of those who came before me. And my marriage is about shaping the future. Maybe God's purpose in the marriage of Debbie and I was to provide an incubator for future world changers. Maybe it's not necessarily about me. Maybe Debbie and I will be the answer to a Jeopardy question someday. (laughs) Who was the couple that were the great-grandparents of so-and-so and she literally changed her world? Because they beget and beget and beget and beget. Won't it be cool to get to heaven someday and God go, let me show you. Let me show you part of my sovereign plan for the two of you being together and what happened as a result. Maybe it was to plant Seacoast Church so some of you could come to know Jesus and have him change. I don't have any idea. But all I know is that God has a purpose and a plan and I can get excited about the future. Even in my suffering... Maybe my suffering would be an example that would cause a breakthrough in somebody else for the sake of the gospel. God is sovereign. Learn to trust in that. Okay, here's a second thought that I wanted wanted you to hear. Uh, We are learning, Debbie and I are learning to celebrate God's creativity. Celebrate God's creativity. I gotta be honest, this is not a lesson we learned well early on. Someone said, before you're married, opposites attract. After you're married, opposites attack. Does anybody have a testimony on that? Keep your hand down. Keep your hand down. There are no more two opposite people in life than my bride of 35 years and I. We are as opposite as opposite can be. You know, just the fact that we're male and female makes it different and difficult. Um, You know, in, in the area of maturity, women mature much faster than men. 
Most 17-year-old females can function as adults. Most 17-year-old males are still playing video games and giving each other wedgies. I told that one to my wife and she said, and they're laughing about body noises. And they keep doing that at least until your age. And I said, we don't have to share that, okay? So that's why high school romances rarely work, okay? You can look in our bathroom and you can see the differences that, that we are. We're, we're in a home now where I have my own sink and it's separated from hers. And it's about this big right here. The whole area is this big. Hers is over here and it's like monster. It's huge. And most men have about six items in their bathroom. They've got a toothbrush, tooth pa- uh, toothbrush, toothpaste, shaving cream, razor, a bar of soap, and a towel, you know, from the Holiday Inn. Okay, that's what they've got in their, their area. The average number of items in a typical female bathroom is north of 400. And I've got to tell you something, I have no idea what most of it's for. None. No idea. We shop differently. Take groceries. Debbie amazes me. A woman makes a list of things she needs and then she goes to the store to buy them. And it's just, it's consistent and steady. It's incredible. A man, if I was left to my own, I'd wait until the only things in the refrigerator were two things, a half of a lemon and maybe something that has green stuff growing on it. And I'm very hungry and so I go to the grocery store and when a man buys, he buys everything that looks good. Doesn't need a list. This looks good. I'll buy this and I'll buy this. And they load the cart and then they go through the 10 items or less uh, deal. That's just kind of how it works. Cats. Cats. Women love cats. Men say they love cats, but when women aren't looking, men kick cats. Okay? Whenever I say anything about cats, I always get notes. Please send them to Greg Surratt at I don't care dot com. Okay? There we go. Offspring. A woman knows all about her children. Debbie knows everything. She knows the birth dates. She knew dentist appointments, soccer games, romances, best friends, favorite foods, secret fears, and hopes and dreams of all of her children. A man, on the other hand, is vaguely aware that some short people are living in the house. We're just different, aren't we? And then you go beyond that with Deb and I. I'm a starter. She's a finisher. I'm spontaneous. She's a planner. With us, there's no such, like Christmas time, you've got all these parties going on and stuff. There is no such thing in her world as just dropping in on something. You know, I'll, I'll say, let's go to this party. She said, we, we didn't get an Evite on that. And I'll say, it was an oversight. They love us. I know they love us. They love to have us there. Let's just go, you know. I'm a risk taker. She's steady and cautious. In the first few years of our marriage, and sadly, uh, periodically, um, I, I try to change her into my image. She doesn't see life like I do. Therefore, she must be broken. And it caused intense fellowship and, and pain. And here's the truth, is that my wife is a beautiful expression of God's creativity. It needs to be treated as such. 1 Peter 3 and verse 7 says it this way, Husbands must give honor to your wife. Honor to your wife. Treat her with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner, God's gift in a a new life. If you don't treat her as you should, your prayers will not be heard. Let me break that down. 
First he says, give honor. What does that mean? Give honor with your words. Tell each other how much you care. Don't let it be just a 35th year anniversary or a 10th year anniversary or whatever it happens to be. Every day, fill up that tank. Tell them how much you care. Honor. Brag on your spouse in public. Tell people how good she is or he is. Give honor with your actions. Do things like opening doors. Billy Hornsby taught me that. I'm still learning that. Offering her the best seat with the best view at the restaurant. Letting her order first. Walking at her pace. Oh, that's tough for me. Oh, that's tough. I, I got to be honest with you. I walk, I'm ready. Let's go. Come on, let's do it. Vacation. Let's go. We got a lot to cover. And I'm walking along and I look around and she's not, she's way back there. Come on, whistle. Come on, come on up here. You know, and the Lord, the Lord convicts me. Uh, let's, let, let, let's honor her. Why don't you go on back there? But she walks so slow. Yeah, maybe it'd be good for you to slow down a little bit. Honor. Treat her with understanding. It says, figure her out. Study her. She's an amazing mystery to me. She never loses anything. Spends most of her time laughing at me. Not with me, but at me. I used to think, honestly, I used to think our differences were a problem. I did. It would be much easier if she was more like me. Now, this is honest. This is honest truth over the last few years. I think because of our differences, we have an unfair advantage. We cover a lot of territory. We really do. That's a cool thing. And then he says, if you don't treat her like you should, your prayers won't be answered. Evidently, God's kind of concerned about that whole deal. So trust in God's sovereignty. Celebrate God's creative differences and His creativity. Here's the third thing we're learning is that's to imitate God's charity. Imitate God's charity. Let me read a scripture that's powerful here. Colossians 3 verse 13 says, You must. Would you underline the word must? How about you circle it? Did you circle it? How about you put those little arrows that point to it? And then put some stars, okay? Because it's key. He doesn't say you should. You ought to think about it. He says you must do what? Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Make allowances. One of the best experiences that we've had as a couple is building a house together. Uh, Let me tell you why it was so special. Uh, We were in Freeport, Illinois, eight years. Wonderful time of ministry. And we always desired a house. We lived next door to the church in a parsonage, which was a privilege, but it had its own unique opportunities. We wanted a house. Could we have a house? And we pursued that, and it was almost like um, an obsession, and it never worked, and we couldn't do it. And so when we moved to Charleston, before we moved, we're going through... We knew that we would be coming here and maybe someday starting a church. And we were going through, you know, the pros and cons of all of that. And the last thing that we kind of put on the altar was this desire to to have our own house. Uh, And and we put it on the altar like this. God, we're going to follow you. And the reality is we probably will never have our own house because we're starting a church and you know, somebody asked me the other day, did you ever think Seacoast would do this? This is just beyond 
my imagination. Um, I know the reality of starting, starting a church. And we we're dirt poor. I mean, we were absolutely... In fact, I remember one day having the radio on and hearing uh, that uh, the, the, the President Reagan, I think at that time, had, had raised the poverty level to such and such. I had no, no clue. And I went home, I got excited. I said, Deb, we're below that level, but I believe we can get there someday to that level, that poverty level. And uh, we used to have the WIC truck, the women, infant, and children truck back up to our garage and unload free milk and cheese and cereal and we'd feed the neighborhood with it because we got so much because at one point we had five people debbie and four children on the on the welfare list and so we were poor and but we we said let's we're we're going to give up this desire to ever have a house and we gave it to god we really did it's okay we're going to be all right We'll, we'll never have one we got to charleston and we weren't here four weeks and a guy in the church at Northwood Assembly who I didn't even know, I'd never said anything to him, came up to me at a social gathering. And he said, I believe the Lord has spoken to me to build you a house. I said, that's great, but I don't have any money. Zero. Zero money. Dollars. I was lying to him. I had $200. <laughs> Zero money, I said. He said, that's Okay. We'll figure it out. And the Lord provided something for us when we gave it up to Him. There's a principle there. I'm not telling you that God's going to give you, you know, a house or a car or a million dollars or whatever it is when you give it up to Him. But I do know that God provides. And He's sovereign. He always does what is good. And so we built a house. And one of the things in the house was, uh, as we were going through the budget, was a, 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 a contingency allowance. And I said, well, what's that for? And he said, well... If in a perfect world, if everything went absolutely right, this is what a house would cost to build. But we don't live in a perfect world. There are going to be rainstorms that delay, and every day of delay costs money. There's going to be changes that you're going to think you need today or whatever, or there are going to be inspectors that come and say, you, you can't do it this way, and you've got to change it. There are going to be contractors, subcontractors that don't show up on the right day and all that kind of stuff. So we're going to do a contingency allowance here so that when we get done with this thing, we're not shocked and we can't afford it and we can't pay for it, okay? And here's what I learned. If you're going to build a house, you better make allowances for cost overruns or you will never finish the project. Here's even a deeper learning. If you're going to build a home, you must make allowances for each other's faults or you will never finish the project. See, in a perfect world, we would never hurt each other. He would always bring flowers and chocolate and say the right things and take long walks on the beach and write poetry and hug just for the sake of hugging. But the truth is, we don't live in a perfect world. The bachelor is a fairy tale. Can I get an amen? Cinderella loses her slippers. And on inside of each one of us, there's a self-serving and sensitive jerk waiting to raise its ugly head and hurt our partner's feelings. And so your plans need to have a contingency fund. You may need to make an allowance for the other person's fault. That's what the apostle is saying here. In other words, you decide in advance that you're going to forgive. Whenever I hear somebody say, if he did that, if she did that, I would never forgive him. 
I know they are destined, or they are, they are, they are, 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 are ruining the destiny of their relationship because God has called us to forgive. How do you forgive? He says you do it. Remember that the Lord forgave you. You imitate God's charity. How does God forgive you? Let me give you some ideas. He forgives you strategically. Strategically. Before the foundations of the world, the Bible says, God created a contingency plan. He knew that men would screw up. He knew that Adam would sin. And so he just didn't write him off and said, oh, well, let's start over. He said, I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross as a sinless offering and sacrifice so that you can have forgiveness of sin. The penalty for your sin will be paid for. God strategically planned for you to fail and that he could bring you into relationship with him. He thought it through. I challenge you to strategically Think it through. Wherever you are in your relationship, to make allowance, to say, you know what? I'm going to plan to forgive. God does it immediately. He doesn't play games. He doesn't say, you know what? I'm going to make Greg suffer so he'll know how much he hurt me. Don't play those kind of games. When I, when, when I hear people playing those kind of games, she says, I, I'm going to make him suffer. I know he's sorry, but I'm going to make him suffer. Sometimes they don't say it. I've heard it said on both male and female. Sometimes that's just the thought. They don't know how much I hurt. I'm going to make them wait. Let me tell you what you do when you do that. You open your marriage up to the enemy of your soul. And I'll guarantee you, you've got an enemy. You open it up on your side that there would come a root of bitterness because you're not made to, to do that. You open it up on their side to a, to a temptation because I want to tell you something. There's going to be somebody at work that's going to be sympathetic to their situation. It's going to listen with an opening ear of the opposite sex. And there can, there, there can come, and, and can I just say this? Don't be taking your marriage problems to somebody of the opposite sex. Just don't do it. Because you open yourself up to a bonding that, that the enemy will, will, will use to, to further destroy your relationship. Don't play those games. Forgive like God does. He does it immediately. Well, you say, well, what if I get taken advantage of? You probably will. But here's the good news. Nobody ever gets away with anything. God is sovereign. Did I mention that earlier on? And if you're a believer and he's a believer or she's a believer, then the Holy Spirit lives inside of both of you. And here's what you do. Just go to prayer and say, Holy Spirit, sick them. Make them miserable till they come to their senses. I'll forgive right away. You deal with the stuff. You follow what I'm saying? This is good preaching whether you think so or not. The third thing you do, I don't know what you do. What do you do? You forgive completely. God forgives completely. It says in Isaiah 1.18, Come, let us argue together. No matter how deep the stain of your sin, I can remove it. I can make you as clean as freshly fallen snow. When God forgives, He does it completely. He gives the object of forgiveness new life. You know, you have the power to do that in your relationship. And if you do it over and over and over again, then your relationship is new uh, again and again and again. If you're going to go the distance, you're going to have to practice selective memory. So learn to trust God's sovereignty. Celebrate His creativity. Imitate His charity. And what will be the reward? It will be a blessed life. 
more than you can ask or imagine. Proverbs 31.10 happened to be a verse that came up right around my um, anniversary time and said this, who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She is worth more than precious rubies. I found one and she's worth that. So here we are. Let me close with this. We're, we're, we're on this cruise ship and we're sailing out of Naples and the sun's going down and we're at this nice dinner and so romantic. And we had this conversation about what God is doing in our relationship with our kids and all this kind of stuff. And I reached over and grabbed her hand. And I said, I want to tell you something. If I knew what I knew now and I had to go back, I'd make the same decision and choose you again. And she said, so would I. Let's pray. I'm not going to tell you anything else. Let's pray. (laughs) Father, I thank you for our time together. I thank you for the fact that you are sovereign, that you have a plan for each one of us. You have a plan for our relationships to honor you and to bring glory to you and to be a, a part of the redemptive plan that you have for our world. Now, God, I pray that you would search our hearts, that we would um, know you completely in this moment, your will for today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.